<laughs> they still complain. And your clients probably will too. What's architecture really about? Archispeak is a show that dares to peek under the architectural kimono, exposing what architecture really is, what it is that architects really do, and show you why we are passionate about our chosen profession. I'm Evan Troxell. Join Neil Pan, Cormac Phelan, and me as we have a casual conversation about all things architecture, which includes all the stuff people don't talk about. Think you already know what architecture is really about? Tune in to find out. Time for some Marcus speak. Well, what are we talking about? We're talking about, uh, you know, the work balance. Um, the one thing, you know, that uh, golden ring that everybody's uh, shooting for. Um, you know, that how can I have the you know best life possible um, that is part of our, you know, is my work, my life, everything is just this, you know, everything is perfect. <laughs> you know, um, no, uh, I mean, it, well, isn't that really what most people are shooting for? I mean, if you think about it, we go, we go to school because we want to better our lives. I mean, why did you guys go to school? Was it to have a better job? Um, you know, I, I came from a working class automotive uh, family. Uh, father and grandfather both retired from General Motors. I was actually the first kid in our, in our family to go to college, to graduate college. So I was shooting for a, a better life. But I was also, you know, an extremely creative kid that wanted to create. So I wanted, you know, to have my cake and eat it too. I wanted to have a better life make the more money and all this other stuff more than, you know, didn't want to have the nine to five, you know, uh, lunch pail type life. I wanted to have a profession. I wanted to have something that my, um, you know, that I could look back on and say, okay, you know, yeah, I, I, you know, worked hard to, um, to do this, but it was something that I loved and I enjoyed. And it wasn't just a, you know, uh, punching the time card and going in, going out and all that other stuff, you know? And so, um, but you know, that, you know, kind of golden ring that I was talking about is that is, you know, um, these two articles that, you know, we were talking about, uh, from art daily, you know, the Andrew Maynard's, um, article on work balance and then kind of a, almost a rebuttal, um, article, uh, from Anthony Ling that was, basically talking about, um, you know, he, he was basically talking about his perspective of the Anthony, or sorry, the Andrew Maynard article, um, talking about, uh, you know, his perspective about the um, work-life, work-balance type thing. Well, <laughs> the, I, I, let me jump in here, because I, um, I think we're lucky enough to have enough perspective on our careers at this point, uh, not that they're over yet. But um, not that the economy is trying to help us there. But I think a, a little bit my view has changed as um, I've gotten older. 
And what I mean by that is early on, I started actually, Cormac, similar to you, I was the first one in my family to go to college. And, and um, you know, I don't know if I really did it to have a better life or not to have a, um, you know, the, the eight to five sort of job, although that's what I kind of like about even architecture now is to find that life work balance is, is, you know, to try and do it eight to five. But, um, when I started, I think I, I enjoyed working, you know, hours and, uh, certainly didn't enjoy weekends and, you know, working on those and, and missing out, out on events, but it didn't seem to matter to me as much because maybe the only person I was really hurting was myself. Um, although maybe I wasn't being very considerate of my friends or other family at that time. But, you know, I, I did it because that's, that's what I loved. I was good at it and I enjoyed it and it didn't seem to be a problem. And I think over time, as, you know, I'm no longer the CAD monkey, although I am doing that now to make a living. Um, but as I grew in, in the different firms that I worked for to having a position of more responsibility, I tended not to have to work uh, quite as late or quite as much. And then, and then now it's like with a family, I I really don't want to, Uh, I want to spend more time with them. Uh, although sometimes work is a good escape from the kids, which sounds kind of odd, but it's true. If you have children, you understand. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that, that your perspective a little bit changes over time and it's not always going to be the same. Well, okay. So the question here real quick is, um, you know, and, and Evan was alluding to this. Where is this um, idea that we've got to kill ourselves for a our profession to make ourselves? Is it to make ourselves feel successful that we're putting in all of these hours and extra time, and you know, the overabundance of you know days away from our family? Sometimes, I mean, is it a learned thing? Is it a, you're programmed? Um, you know, is it I actually had my wife read this article um, from Andrew Maynard, and she was just like, yeah, it sounds like what you guys do all the time. You are, you don't, you know, she was telling me, she goes, you don't feel like you've, um, you know, put in the time if you're at home and, you know, like say a project architect or something is working on my project and they're at the office I, you know, she's like, you feel guilty that you're not there. So you usually kids go to bed. I'll run back to the office and, you know, you know, pitch in and, and try to, you know, help get things done. And, you know, is it, is it a guilt type feeling? Is it a, you know, you're pre-programmed in architecture school? I mean, I think Evan, you were kind of alluding to something like that, that, you know, you're almost, you're almost programmed that, you need to eat, sleep, breathe architecture, or you're not any good at it. Yeah. I mean, am I I wrong here? Yeah, I I think that we are kind of programmed from school that that this requires all of your attention and then some. I mean, and I've said it before, when I was in school, I didn't have a life outside of architecture school. This is all I did for five years. And and yeah, you know, I did a, a few things over the summer, but after the first year, I took summer school every year to try to stay, just stay on track. Because when I started architecture school, my studio professor told me, um, and everybody in the class, um, oh yeah, you only need to take this many units and 
and it wasn't enough. And so it kind of screwed us for the rest of the, the five years that we were in school. We all had to work extra hard to catch back up. But I think we are programmed to work late into the night and to try to put off sleeping. Sleeping is, is you, you can do that when you're not in studio. And, and I'm just wondering, you know, if, if we carry too much of that into our profession. And one of the things that these articles publish or that, that they talk about is they talk about the all-nighters and they talk about the, the situations that people are put into that we think is normal, but it really isn't normal when you compare it to other professions. And I think that that's kind of the rub, right? Where it's like, look, you guys might think this is normal, but, but think again, is this really normal? Um, because, because it's not, you know, there's, there's plenty of other professions out there and there's plenty of other professions that make a lot more money where you just don't have to put in as much time as architecture does. That's true of every, uh, the business school at the college I went to. <laughs> Lights were never on at night over there. Yeah, and I think even if you look at maybe the breakdown of, of professions within an architecture office, because, you know, there's a lot more than just architects working in an office. There's, there's accountants, there, there might be legal, there might be marketing, there might be um, people who deal with financing and entitlement type things. Um, if you look at the different professions within a firm, uh, the people who are, are working on the projects, especially in the beginning stages of the projects, those are the people putting in the hours and, and they are the ones who are there after the lights are off. I, and I don't feel like the other professions really are. Um, and I, and I'm not sure if that's self-inflicted, maybe that's a time, you know, maybe there's something to talk about is, is that a time management issue or is that um, it was designed to fail from the beginning where people who are out of touch with the actual process are creating schedules that are unobtainable? Um, I mean, there's lots of reasons why we, I, you know, like I said before, I, I, I try not to do all-nighters if I don't have to, and I try not to work late if I don't have to, but it, it sometimes does happen. Um you know, maybe it's just that we're perfectionists and we're not ready to, to, to let go until it's actually done. I think there's a lot of reasons why we choose to stay late, but, um, it's, it's way beyond the, the big picture is, is that it, it, it is the architects in the office, the ones who really care about the projects or who are the ones who are staying late, or maybe they don't care, but they're forced to stay. Well, but you know, does, does you know caring for a project mean that you have to kill yourself for the project? Right. I mean, because <laughs> it doesn't. I mean, maybe that's you know the root of the problem is is that you know just because you care about the project, it, it could mean that you're mismanaging it because you're not using your resources effectively to you know to get that project to you know plan that project out. So it's you know maybe it's a planning failure that you've. Um, that you're, that you're unable to, uh, you know, balance your time between, you know, and, and the, a lot of times, I mean, the reality is, is that, you know, because I don't really want to sound like, you know, well, you know, the only reason that I'm staying late is because I'm mismanaging my time. You know, to be quite honest with you, you know, I've got three projects going on at the same time, you know, at various stages of the, the process. And, 
you know, I was just commenting this to um, a buddy of mine at work, a fellow project manager, and it was just like, you know, the most, you know, sometimes I stay late or I come in early because that's the only time I can actually get the actual work I need to get done, done. Otherwise, I'm on the phone, I'm, you know, talking with clients and things like that, you know, it, it was interesting as, you know, another comment I made to him is, you know, he, he said this, um, you know, to me, and I, I've, I've said it before, people who aren't in like a project management position, you know, like the, um, you know, recent graduate or the interns or something like, man, you know, it must be great. You just sit around all day, you're on the phone, you don't really do anything. Well, the funny thing is, is that the things that you have to do when you're on the phone, you know, sometimes are probably more important to the project, um, either the completion of the project or the, you know, funding of the project and all that other stuff. You know, they just don't understand that, you know, some of the project management stuff that isn't just down in the trenches clicking away on a mouse drawing are equally as important to the project in the process of the project than, you know, just clicking away. Yeah, and I think that 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 also stems from school where you are doing the work, all of the work all the time because you're working on your own. Yeah. Uh which is a lot different than than working on a team in an office or even working by yourself in an office where you do have to handle all of that stuff. And I think it's interesting how you just said that you will come back to the office or stay late to get the actual work done and that you separate that from what you just said being the phone calls and the process of gathering all the information or doing the funding where maybe that isn't considered doing the work, but it's just as important. I think that that's a very interesting distinction. And I I think that that plays through the entire um, profession of architecture where we feel like we aren't, working on the project if we're not actually drawing on it, but we are. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that I, that's the kind of thing where I think you don't really get that in school until you actually have to do it for real. But it, it it's so true. And I think that's actually, you know, one of the failings of school is that, you know, it, and, it, and it probably is what has led us to down this path of almost like this systemic arrogance, it, you know, that I'm the only one who should be working on this project to get it done because, you know, it's almost this, you know, we, we've created the atmosphere of um, if I want to get it done, I'm the only person, who, you know, I'm the only one to get it done. You know, and it, it's not, we don't create teamwork. Um, one of the biggest things that I saw in um, architecture school at Auburn was, the, arch- the architecture school is actually called the College of Architecture, Design, and Construction. And, you know, we've got in- industrial design, we've got interior design, architecture, um, construction, construction management, things like that. A lot of our classes are work hand-in-hand with the construction classes. But there's this, you know, kind of preconceived idea that it's us-against-them type atmosphere that, you know, the contractors are just out to get us and stuff like that. So, we, so we're breeding this animosity between the two professions that rely most on each other. 
You know, we do the drawings, they do the building. You know, we know what we want to go into the building. They know how to put the building together. So it should, it by the very nature of what we're doing, we either should be one in the same type profession or at least, at the very least, should be in each other's camp, you know, supporting and, and uh, working with each other. And it just, I think school in general, for some reason, creates a me attitude that, you know, I'm the only one who can get this done. Whereas what we should be teaching is more of a, almost a project management type thing of, this is what it really takes to get it done. This person, this person, this person, this person, to create this mentality of teamwork so that we're not always having to rely on ourselves or believing that we only need to rely on ourselves to do the work and that we actually start relying on the team to do the work. And then that changes the philosophy of projects and that each person's key you know, role is a key to the success of the project. You get where I'm going? Yeah, I think that I I even, I even see that amongst architects in the community that I live in where they don't feel like there's room for other architects in the community. <laughs> yes. Right. And yes. that that kind of drives me crazy because I think that I think they're looking at it exactly the wrong way where they should be looking at it like there's plenty of room for great design. There is more than enough room. And it shouldn't be all about that person. And then when it comes to working on a team, what you're talking about, I think, is just authorship, right? And and that is something that's brought up in the Maynard article on Arc Daily. And he's talking about how you, you kind of have to get over the authorship problem. You know, it, it you have to realize that there is absolutely no way you can do this all by yourself. And I think that is what a lot of people... Um, fail to see when they're working in these firms, when they're striving to get to the next level as fast as possible. And they are feeling like they are the only ones who can work on the project and the only ones who can do it right. Um, They're failing everybody around them by thinking that because they're not leaving any room for those other people to do the work that they can do. And and if, if a manager doesn't trust his team to do the work that they can do, why would that team want to work with them? Why should right. that person be uh, pushed up to the next level when they don't trust anybody that they're working with, when they can't actually say, you know what, you can do this better than me, so I should be able to trust you and give this to you and let you stand on your own to do it? Um, it's it's really hard to work for people like that, but I think that happens a lot. I think you get people uh, in charge of projects who feel like, they can do it better than everybody else. Everybody else is doing something wrong and they're putting in all the hours and they have to be seen as putting in all the hours because they're working harder than everybody else. And that, first of all, it's going to kill you. But second of all, no one wants to work with that person. Right. I mean, there's, I always talk about with, you know, the people who are, you know, working with me, um, you know, that are fresh out of school and stuff. It's like, I'm training you to take over my job. So then that frees me up to move up. But then as you move up, we're collaborating so that we both can continue to move up. Because ultimately, I want to retire, 
but I want to retire knowing that you're ready to take over. Yeah. You know, so it's it's this, you know, I'm helping you, you're helping me, I'm helping we, you know, kind of thing. Um, that's a parenting, sounds- I think that's a parenting attitude. I think people have the opportunity to learn that when they're parents because yeah. you want your kids to do better than, like, I want to do better than my parents did. I want my kids to do better than I'm doing. Um, and at work, it's the same way. I want someone to come take my place and kick ass and do much way better than I can do. But for some reason, wherever it's happening, and it could be in school, or it could just be inherent to, you know, everybody, they feel threatened yes. when they're not, you know, so we hired Evan to be this top-notch designer. So, you know, he's going to come in, he's going to kick ass, he's going to, you know, show everybody how it is to design. So Evan's the golden boy. Then somebody comes in who's as talented or has drive. Does Evan now feel, you know, um, rather than feeling challenged, Evan now feels threatened that somebody's there, you know, the new golden child is going to take his place and take over for him. And it should actually be that, wow, now we're going to get better. Now we've got two people. It's usually a, oh, shit, now he's going to take my, uh, he's going to take my place. And, um, I need to do whatever it takes to secure my position. So I'm going to work harder. I'm going to be here all the time. You know, when the boss comes in, I'm already here. When the boss leaves, I'm still here. And so then you start to create this self-sacrifice for your job that then affects, you know, your, the, you know, what the topic is, is of the, you know, work life balance, you know, because now you're starting to sacrifice everything that you're working for just for work. Well, I think as soon as you start thinking about your perception in the office, you're losing focus on the real thing, right? As soon as you're worried about what other people think, as soon as you're worried about how people perceive you, then you can see that your focus is off. I wonder how much of that happens in larger offices compared to smaller offices, though. Hmm. I'm sure. You know what? I mean, in a way, we're bred this way. (laughs) Maybe so. We're we're taught. I mean, we really are. If you think about it, think about architecture school and the way we're taught to essentially compete against each other. So we're breeding, you know, this kind of – me attitude um you know i was was that was something by the way i did not like about architecture school i I didn't like that i i've never liked that uh entire competitive um um environment i've always excelled much more so in a collaborative environment and i think we've probably talked about that maybe before but i mean you know i mean it's it it bears repeating is that um, how many times think about your school, how many times did you give a presentation as a team and how many times did you give a presentation as an individual? Well, it was definitely more lopsided towards uh, the individual than the team. Right. For sure. We did a few team projects. <laughs> how but, many times were you on a team where you didn't trust what anybody else did 
because they were <laughs> slacking and you felt like you had to do everything just because they weren't doing anything. But isn't that kind of cyclical, you know, kind of creating what you were talking about is once you start focusing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But at the same yeah. time, you, 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 yeah. I mean, you see people well, who, who just aren't pulling their own weight. I mean, that is, yeah. that is a, a reality too. And I think in school, you can get away, you know, people think that they can get away with it more because there's nothing, you know, there, there's, there's no consequences. Whereas in the professional world, if you're slacking, there's several consequences. There's either the project will fail, you know, you, you know, you'll lose your job. Right. Yeah. That's a big one. Like that. So there's, you know, there's all these consequences that, you know, working as a team and being part of the team atmosphere when we're not teaching that in school, you know, we're automatically teaching everybody to fail. You know, it goes, you know, towards this other, you know, topic that um, we can talk about and kind of go off on several different tangents of it. And it's procrastination um, that's rampant in architecture. It, it's kind of this, well, you know, don't worry about it. I got plenty of time, you know. It, you give yourself this false sense of security that you've got like a six-month project, so you only really need to work on it for two months. When you really you, you're killing yourself in that two months, probably not getting the job done right. Um, when you're only spending two months of time that you really had the six months, and you're ending up doing you know back to where we're talking about where you're overworking yourself unnecessarily because you didn't manage your time and you didn't manage the project properly, but. Again, and I don't want to get off on that that particular tangent because that's, you know, for me that's a pet peeve of my own because I'm guilty of it often. Well, I wonder how much of all of this, you know, feeling of um, having to work and kill yourself on a project or in an office all the time is, um, you know, I, I was going to say is this is this an American problem, Evan? You were you were mentioning earlier. Um, are we just bred this way or, or, you know, is this just the way we, we have to do it? And then, you know, as I look back, I say, okay, well, Andrew Maynard's an Australian architect. So, you know, maybe it isn't just strictly a U.S. sort of condition. Um, although I will say the year I lived in Italy, now, granted, I was in school. I wasn't, I wasn't working for a living. But I definitely did get the sense from uh, those around me that, you know, work was, there was a better live work balance in Italy. And then I'm, I'm, I'm obviously overgeneralizing. I, I only saw a small part of life there, but, uh, uh, and you, you know, as a college student, maybe you could say, make the same remarks about the United States as well. But, um, I just got a, a different sense of, you know, live work in Europe compared to live work in the United States. And, um, you know, if we do have listeners from around the world, I'd love to hear your opinions on, you know, how that is perceived or how this subject is perceived in your country. Um, you know, and let us know if it's, if it's, it's, if, if it's everywhere or is there a better, you know, some places where it's better because then we'll all move there. <laughs> yep. Well, you know, I mean, even this, uh, Anthony Ling follow-up, I mean, he's, um, San Paulo based uh, architects. So, I mean, you know, he's, you know, dealing with some of the same issues that, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to read these articles, you know, and they're usually from, 
you know, either a stateside, um, you know, architect. I know that uh, um, Jody writes for, you know, Jody Brown writes for them. Uh, sometimes, you know, you'll see something from Bob, you know, Borson and all these other different people who are more stateside feeling kind of the similar pains that we feel. But then you also start to see other, you know, other architects from all across the, you know, globe basically feeling the same pain. So it's, you know, it would almost be interesting to, you know, write a PhD dissertation on what it is, you know, what's creating this systemic, you know, misery that, and I don't want to call it misery, but, you know, why is it that, you know, architects across the globe feel pretty much the same way? Um, is it, what is it that we're doing to ourselves? Well, and how much of it is based on, on the, the economy that we're in? You know, I think one of my one of my colleagues said it really well when he said, you know, everybody in my office is working 150% because they've laid off enough people who do the work where everybody's feeling it. You know, um it it that has to be part of it. I know that it happens in good economies as well, but we're probably really feeling it especially now. Evan, I don't think that changes much whether the economy's bad or the economy's good. Um, I mean, throughout my career, whether the economy was good or bad, there was always that perception of, you know, I got to get in earlier or I got to get in and stay later than everyone else because I'm the I'm the one who's working the hardest. I want to show that I'm I'm doing the most and uh, and and you know, at the next uh, next time I have my review. I'm going to get a better raise than the guy next to me or someone else in the office, or I'm going to get promoted faster. And, and Cormac, your, your response to some of that is in, uh, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to quote you cause I love this, uh, in, in Andrew Maynard's article where he states, uh, um, if I work longer hours, I will get promoted and paid better. And your response was no, never. And <laughs> exactly. That is so true. Yeah, that and, is true. And especially when the economy, you know, has starting in, you know, 06, late 06, into 07 and 08, you know, started falling off, you know, it likely didn't matter whether you were the one putting in the most hours or, or, or not. You still got laid off, didn't protect you, didn't save you. Maybe there's a few people out there and, and those of you that, uh, you know, uh, did, it did protect, um, you know, let us know if that, if that works because, I think most of us find, uh, or many of us, the, the three of us find that that's not often true. No, I, I don't think it's true. I, you know, that that's a tough sp- space to be in because I, I know I know guys who who do that because they're concerned about the perception, um, and I think there's a couple of mistakes that people make there. Number one, I you know there's there's guys that I know who who do that but don't charge their overtime. Or they don't ever write it down to the job, so oh, and that's horrible. It's horrible then, because yeah, the the yeah. business doesn't know what it actually takes to get the work done. That's right, exactly. And the so the client never pays for it, and the client, you're basically telling the client that I got all this done in three quarters or half the amount of time that I actually got it done. But but number two, they're they're saying, well, I'm always, you know, and I'm doing the air quotes right now profitable for the company 
when the truth is you just donated all that time, right? right. <laughs> and that's also something that's brought up in these in these two articles is, you know, you're donating your time and your company is just saying, hey, thanks. Thanks for the extra money. You just totally are helping us out on our profit margin. Um, and then and then what I've run into, you know, the last couple of years is uh, this year, no merit increases, no bonuses. Sorry, guys, but but it's just not in the books. Right, right. Yet you just spent, you know, say you're being billed for 40 hours a week, but you just gave them 60, 60 70 hours. Right. So you've donated them 30 extra hours per week on these projects. For what? With Exactly. For what? For nothing in return. You know, it's that no, never. You won't get paid more. You won't get, you know, promoted because, you know, especially in a down economy, um, you know, killing yourself for greater reward really won't come because there's no reward to have. Really, in a down economy, yeah. the only reward to have is to keep your job. And, the, and it's, just, it's just gambling. And it's really yes. interesting to me to see how people aren't, can't gamble with money, but they will gamble with their time and attention. And, and what I mean by gambling is you don't know if it's going to pay off in the end. And I will say that, you know, in the last four years, it doesn't, it has not paid off. And you are directly stealing that time from your family if you have one. And if you're not feeling it, somebody else is. You know, so it's your wife, it's your kids, it's it's whoever it is. They're they're the ones who are really feeling it and paying the price because you're willing to give all this away for free to the company. Exactly. I, I made a couple of notes um, that you guys saw when I shared this PDF of the of these articles, and I made this a, a couple of notes. You know, just kind of as questions. You know. Of does the extra hours really pay off? You know, it's I work more because I want a better life. You know, these are some of my notes. Um, will you have a better life by actually working more? Will your future better life um, really happen if it's at the cost of your current life? And that's actually the one that you know, kind of in response to what you just said, Evan. You know, is this future life that you're hoping for to be better? You know, once I move up in the company. Or once I'm making more money, yeah, you know, that's when everything will pay off. You're you're really the the harder that you work, you know, and in a way it's almost the more efficient, inefficient way that you work early on in your career to kind of set yourself up for this better life will continue to be a problem all the way through. So you're never gonna really achieve that better life if you can't like manage your current life. Yeah, and again, I'll cite the, the a couple of movies that you can watch on Netflix that have to do with really famous architects or or wanting to be famous architects who gave it all to architecture and um, ended up, you know, everybody else paid the price. And it, you know, if yeah. you, again, if you look at John Lautner's movie, Infinite Space, that's what it's called. And the other one is the one with Glenn Small, where it's My Father the Genius, and even the Louis Kahn movie, um, My, my, my Architect. Yeah, and my and it's like it's like wow, these guys gave it all, and 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 other people paid the price, and they probably felt like they were paying the price too. Um, it, it's pretty painful. And and one thing that I've 
a quote that I've heard recently, and I, I don't know who to attribute it to. I, I need to look it up, but it's, you know, architecture is a, is a harsh mistress. Um, you give your life to it and, and what do you get in return? It's, it's very little. Um, it, it is a very difficult profession to go into. And, and one of the things that was stated in one of these articles was like, um, you know, architecture doesn't pay that much, but, but most people going into it know that. Um, number one, I would say that, that most people that I tell that architecture doesn't pay much are like, really? I thought it did. I don't think most people know that, um, for versus how much you work, how many hours you put into it. Um, it, I don't think it's that well known of what it actually takes of, of people to do it. And that's, and that's something that, you know, they, they say your studio instructors lie to your face. It says that in one of these articles that the, you know, they're lying. They're telling you a story of how great it is. And, and, and it really is difficult to, to find that balance, I think, um, because it, it is so demanding. There is so much work to do. Architecture is pretty complicated. Um, it, it, it's one of those things where I don't think people really realize it until they, they feel like they're in it so far that they, they don't know what else to do. Um, yeah. And then there's the other ones of us who are like, yeah, it's hard, but man, I wouldn't do anything else. Um, it's it's just so fulfilling to work on these projects and work with these people. And and so, I, you know, I think one thing that we should talk about is what what can we do about this? Because some practical things might be appropriate. Well, I think also, too, before we get to that, I think we shouldn't just... Um we shouldn't forget that, that a lot of professions are difficult. Yeah. A lot of jobs are difficult. Um, and I think anyone as a young, you know, young teenager, early twenties, you know, you're in college and, uh, there's a perception of, um, I, I don't know. It, there's, there's no understanding maybe that how difficult different jobs are and they're all difficult. Uh, and in fact, I like what, uh, Andrew Maynard says in his article uh, about lawyers and that there, there's a perception um, that, you know, you work a lot of hours as a lawyer. And what he says there is that the difference between law and architecture is that lawyers are typically paid very well. And, that, and that's so true. Um, and, and doctors, too, as well. But I think, I think all these professions, you know, doctors, lawyers, architects, they're all difficult. And so, you know, I don't, I don't think we should just say our profession is hard and nobody else's is as hard. Um, I don't think they're ne- all necessarily equal either. Um, but uh, this is a difficult profession. Um, it's art. And sometimes unless it's, um, uh, unless it's a painting, you know, or some other sort of sculpture that there's some extreme value added to it, um, the perception of art is, is, is you just, you, you know, you only see sometimes, and see, here's the problem. You only see what's either printed or built, of, you know, oftentimes. I mean, that's, you see the end product, I guess. What you don't see are the 50 iterations or the hundreds of iterations and, that go into producing that uh, piece of art. Or, or if it's a painting, you know, maybe it's been painted several times or drawn multiple times, um, you know, to, to produce this, this, this thing at the end. And so, you know, it's just like, oh, well, you just, you just 
you know, drew a few lines there. Okay, great. Yeah, um, that can't, that couldn't be worth thousands of dollars. <laughs> well, you know, but I took thousands of hours to get to those few lines, uh, or that one design, or that that design at the end, uh, or the countless hours that go in the in the negotiation part between either the client or the city, you know, between you and the city and and the consultants and everybody else working, you know, hopefully, as Cormac mentioned earlier, we all need to work as a team. And all of that coordination time, uh, th- those are the, like, the, sometimes the hidden hours, uh, as you mentioned, Cormac, your, your coworker, all you do is talk on the phone and, and that's great. That seems like a pretty easy job. Um, but, it's, but that is part of the job as well. You know, you, that, all that coordination, all that time. In fact, as you mentioned, that may be even more important than the than putting the lines on the computer uh, or putting the walls in the computer because, uh, you know, sometimes that portion of the job, that communication and the hand-holding, you know, that gets the next job. Yeah, if you don't do that, then the next job doesn't come. And then that guy drafting who thinks he's so damn important won't have a job. Right, right. (laughs) You know, it's the, you know, someone's got to land the job. Someone's got to keep the job, and someone's got to go and get the next job. And someone's you know? got to do the job. Do the job exactly, <laughs> and then and then someone's got to do the job. Of course, you know, um, and sometimes it's one and the same when you're a sole practitioner, and sometimes it's with the team. Uh, but yeah, um, you know, I was going back to um, what you were saying, Evan. You had you had said that uh, um, our professors lie to us. You know, I. I, I the, this whole time that we've been talking about this, I've been thinking about um, when I was the 17-year-old kid going to the Army recruiting station, listening to all of this, um, you know, razzmatazz of what I would be doing in the Army. And I remember my senior year, we'll just basically say, I wasn't the most studious kid when I was uh, growing up, and I knew I wasn't going to go I knew I wanted to go to college, but I knew I wasn't going directly to college. Mentally, I wasn't prepared for it, and my grades didn't sort of reflect it. Um, There was some growing up I needed to do, so I knew I was going into the Army. And my senior year was spent, you know, glamorizing. Oh, I'm going to be shooting planes down. I'm going to be air defense artillery. It's it's going to be the greatest thing in the world. You know, I, I can't wait to do it. Man, when I got there, it was the, you know, it was, you know, it it was just, it was hard. It was, it was a tough, tough, hard job. It was fun. You know, it was kind of rewarding in a way, but it was tough. And it's, you know, and I liken it very much to, you know, the, my life in architecture is that, you know, it's, it's tough, but you know, the people who do it and stick with it and, you know, aren't the ones who are sitting there complaining every day about how much they hate their job are the ones that have accepted that it's tough and just, you know, love it enough to keep doing it through all of the tough jobs. You know, it's, it's, it's like a marriage, you know. Sure, there's going to be some rocky road. You know, there's going to be some tough times. There's going to be some financial things here and there. But, it doesn't mean that you love the person any less. And it's the same thing with the job. It doesn't mean you love it any less. It's just you got to work through those little difficult times. And, um, you know, it's just kind of, 
Yeah, so it's just, you know, you've, you've got to be able to, you know, look at it, you know, understand what you've gotten yourself into, um, and either make a decision early on that this wasn't exactly what you wanted to do and move on or, you know, just embrace the fact that, yeah, this is exactly what you wanted to do. And, you know, enjoy the, enjoy the ride because it's, it, it's not going to be easy. It was, was that my pep talk to uh, all of the uh, future graduates? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking when you were saying that about, about how they were selling you, you know, down the river when you're going into the Army about all the things that it could be versus when you actually got into it and what it is. I was thinking that's exactly like architecture. Oh yeah. I mean yeah. it it's it's you get out of school thinking that you know you have you have these grand visions of of what it's going to be like and then when you actually have to do it um it's it's all those little things that you have to do and and those clients you have to deal with and the phone calls that you have to make and and all those are what really define what you do and how you're going to handle the next situation. And there all of those little things are opportunities for you to learn. And I think that, you know, uh, one big mistake that a lot of people make is when they get out of school, they feel like they've learned it. Um, when actually you've just been given a taste and, and <laughs> you're going to be doing learning every day. And if you look at it like that, it makes a huge difference in how you are going to take on the profession and move, move along in it. I mean, every day to me is, is a huge learning opportunity. And, it is a lifelong learning that you are about to embark on even as you're just graduating. You know, it, it's it's almost just beginning at that point. Well, how, mu how, much is, how much of this problem of life-work balance is also our own fault when, you know, we don't adequately tell our clients how long a project really is going to take um, or we pr make promises um, so that we can get that job and do it in six weeks when, you know, really it's three months. And, you know, so therefore we, we only bill or we're, we're only charging for that six weeks uh, or, or, you know, to get, to make, to get the, uh, the price to where, you know, we think our client's going to accept it. Uh, and, and instead, it's really a three-month project and should be billed as or, or feed, you know, have a, have a fee of a three-month project or a six-month, you know, whatever it might be. And when we cut that in half, we cut our fee in half, and then suddenly, okay, now we're constantly, I mean, from day one, when you start the project, you're over budget. And, <laughs> you're subsidizing and so the project. Yeah, you're subsidizing the project, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder how much of this live-work balance is the common perception of what we do, um, and that it's not that hard, um, and it's not that complex. Now, granted, developers, when they walk in the door, n understand it's more complex, but even then, they go, okay, well, we need it in less time, and we need it to cost less, so we, we make those sacrifices, and I'm not saying that that doesn't happen in other professions as well, but, um, you know, when we do that, we're, we're, we're causing the our our problem because now we have to get it done in those 6 weeks or uh or that 6 month project in 3 months so that just throws our life work balance it's unbalanced at that point and we've created it well 
here's here's an issue, you know, thinking about clients who may or may not understand the perception of what we do, how long it takes for us to do it, um, you know, the set budgets and, and things like that. I mean, most clients, and, and I'll say that some of the clients that Evan and I have with um, being, you know, working in the, um, like with public schools and things like that, they've got a limited budget. So they're already going into it saying that we're going to spend X amount of dollars on, you know, designing engineering services. Um, we really can't spend any more than that because the rest of it needs to go into, con- you know, our construction budget or our, you know, uh, FF need the, you know, furnishings and, and things like that that, um, you know, go into the project that are part of the overall, you know, capital construction pro- uh, budget. So they're already going into it with this set budget. They know that, it, or they have the perception that architects are a dime a dozen, and that if they say they need it done in six weeks, that and you say, yeah, I can do it in six weeks, and I can do it for that amount of money, that if you don't or you can't, then they can go out and just find somebody else. And the problem is, is there's another architect out there that will say, um, you know, I'm going to do, Neil says that he can do it for um, 10% of the budget. I'm just throwing arbitrary numbers out there. Well, you know, Evan's out there, and he's like, you know, I can do that same job in three weeks less for 8% of the budget. And so they're like, oh, well, we're going to go to Evan. You know, Now, Neil was probably telling him, the actual time and the actual the actual like time it takes to get the project done and also the actual budget it takes to get it done. But that doesn't really matter to them because now they've just saved two percent and they're going to get something delivered quickly. Whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent, we do that to ourselves a lot. Um, and this economy has done it kind of forced our hands. I mean we see it in the construction industry where, you know, we have contractors, and I've said this before, where contractors will bid for 0% um, uh, project or um, profit so that they can get the project. Uh, maybe, you know, trying to find some uh, change orders here and there to get, you know, to get their money back or just to break even. Architects do the same thing, you know. So we're not doing ourselves any service by cutting each other's throat yeah i think that that definitely happens and if you look at if you take it even further to the the competition market where Uh, people are basically working for free um it it becomes even a bigger issue at that point but but yeah i think that 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 is one of the things that plagues our industry is and, and and not just our industry, but but lots of different types of design industries where people feel like um, they just need to get the work so that they're doing the work, even if they're not making any money or even losing money, so that they can get their foot in the door for the possibility of having another job. Um, that that happens all the time, and and that's what it, it's designed to fail. Oh yeah, well I mean, think about it. I mean, we're we try. You know, like when we're marketing, um, we'll do a lot of like upfront for free, um, not for profit work, um, 
just a just for the potential to land the job. We show up at the interview with a design that we haven't oh, yeah. talked to anybody on the client side about. Here it yeah. is. Here's the design. What do you think? <laughs> and think about all of the unpaid man hours that it took to get you to just that point before you even get the job. And, you know, then they're like, well, you know, if, if they can deliver this, then, you know, they they can easily, you know, work towards this unrealistic uh, schedule and this unrealistic budget and everything else because, you know, they've already shown that they can, you know, do this. So, you know, we never really sit, we never really sit down and have that, you know, heart to heart with our clients and say, well, you know, it took us, um, you know, 200 man hours to get to this point. And they're like, wow, well, you know, the, well, then what does that mean for the rest of my project? You know, we never want to, we never want to admit to them, you know, the reality, the, the, the truth behind the veil or, or as we always, you know, as we say in our intro, you know, um, we don't ever want them to peek under the kimono. Yeah. <laughs> the realities. Exactly. You know, if, if, yeah. And I, and I, and I think that's part of, you know, that, that learned, um, you know those learned problems that we have is that you know we want to we want people to think we're superman you know and when they realize that we're not superman then you know it's just like oh my god what what will happen um will we you know will we get another job from them you know we're always we're always in this you know CYA protect yourself kind of mode yeah. no matter what position, what time of the project, we're always in this protect yourself kind of mode. And that goes back to what we were saying about the individual architect who's working on a project. They're always, you know, when you, you said it best, Evan, when you start to think about what other people are thinking about you, then you're too preoccupied with perceptions and not preoccupied with the project. Yeah. Well, don't we want to believe that we're Superman though? That we can do that. We want to, I mean, everybody in every, you know, profession always wants to be the best and wants to have, you know, have somebody, you know, have themselves believe that they're the Superman at their job. Um, And I think that's just, you know, simple human trait really well is there do you guys have any practical kind of advice for people who are struggling with a work-life balance you know i there there was a time where there's always times when you're when you wonder am i am i doing this right is my balance what it should be um in my typical, you know, obviously there, I have someone I can bounce that off of. I can, I can talk to my wife and say, what, what do you think about this? Um, or you could just see the look in their eyes when you say, you know, I'm going to have to stay late tonight, uh, and, and work on this, or you can hear the strain in their voice when they're, they're talking about what has to happen, you know, that night. I mean, what do you, what do you guys think is, is a, a good approach to having a a good work life balance 
I think one thing uh, that helps, and this isn't necessarily um, um, something you do to make it happen, is um, you stop worrying about it a little bit. And, and what I mean by that is you stop worrying about, A, how you're perceived in the, in the office, as Andrew was talking about in his article, how he, how he was you know, uh, perceived negatively and not being a team player. I, I think part of it is you don't worry about it. And maybe you can kind of justify that, your, that a little bit by if you do have a family, you can say, well, you know, family's more important. And sometimes your bosses will understand that. Maybe they have their own families. And sometimes your bosses don't understand that. Uh, I had a boss once that didn't have a family, didn't understand. Oh, you know, kid's sick today. I can't come in. Um, but at some point in time, you just stop worrying about it. So, you know, I, I don't really, uh, I'm not really concerned about what you think. Uh, this is my life. I'm going to live it the way I want to. And, um, you know, unless my name's on the door, um, you know, you don't worry about it. And even when your name is on the door, uh, as if, you know, a couple, few of us have, have worked for ourselves, um, you know, there's, there's a certain point in time when um, you just have to stop and say, you know, well, hey, I got to take care of, of me and my life and uh, I'll do what I can, you know, for your project and to make this happen. Um, and maybe that means you don't get the next project. I don't know. But I'd rather almost not have that next project and uh, be happy. You know, I think, yeah, I think a practical approach that, that hardly, I hardly ever see anybody take is to communicate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think that there is communication with your higher ups or if there aren't higher ups, it's, it's with your client. And, and I think a little bit of communication can go a long way in those instances because yeah, they, they definitely come up when you say, you know what, I, this is going to take longer than I thought. I can Evan, I think you're, you're dead on about the communication and, and, and I think that, um, that goes back to what I was saying just before that was, uh, not, it, it's that switch in your head. It says, I, I, maybe I'm, I'm not Superman. There's only so many things I can do. And then if you communicate with your client um, that, you know, it's not going to happen between here, mo- here and Monday, what can we do, you know, to make it right? Um, you know, or set that expectation of, okay, it's not, you know, we talked in an earlier podcast and take your time estimates and multiply by three, um, you, know, you know, but be realistic with your, with your clients you know, or your managers uh, or project architects, whoever you're working with, and say, you know, I, I think this is really going to take this long. And if that's unacceptable, then you can communicate, sit down and say, well, how can we get it done in this amount of time? Do we need to add more people? Do we need to cut the scope? Do we need to change the scope so that, you know, we deliver or change the deliverables? You know, we deliver X, Y, and then maybe Z comes later. Um, and if you can communicate that with your client, you know, and say, Hey, this is, this is reality. This is what we can do and be honest with them and make them part of the team as well. I think you're right. That's a practical thing that you can do to make that go well. Or as you, and I just, this just makes so much sense because, um, recently I had an, you know, was working on a project where scope was added and, um, you know, the, the 
the, the timeline, the budget, nothing was changed. And so it's like, you know, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. We're, we've added more work and yet we have less time and less money to do it. That's just wrong. You need to go back to that client and as hard as it may be. And maybe that client gets unhappy and walks away. But, you know, you're being honest with yourself. You're being honest with the client. And this is what you can do. You know, or if they've added scope, then, you know, there's added money that that, that costs. Or if you're not going to get paid for that, then they're, they're, you need to work out something else. Well, it definitely reinforces the need for communication. And I think that's, you know, you, you guys both said it, you know, pretty well that the, you know, the lack of communication is probably what we strive, we strive for more only because we tend to walk on eggshells with our clients and, and don't want to piss them off because we do want the return business, you know, and you never, you never allow yourself the opportunity to know whether or not that client will be open to, um, you know, additional services or not, if you're not going to talk to them about them and, and be genuine about what, you know, what their requests have done to the project, what they've done to, you know, the fee, you know, the fee structure that already exists, what they've done to the schedule and things like that. And, you know, maybe it comes to the point where they're, you know what, maybe we don't need this extra bathroom or, you know, a steam shower or something if it's going to affect this much or, you know, maybe the additional classrooms because, um, we don't want, you know, we aren't going to have redistricting, but we were going to, you know, go ahead and throw them in there anyway. You know, maybe they don't need them, you know, but, you know, these are things that if you don't talk to them about it, you're not going to do yourself or even your client any justice. Well, one, one thing that I would even add is that as we talk to our clients, they get to decide Right. And if you, if you get the, get in the right mindset, you can put things in front of them where they get to decide so that they, it's very clear that they get to make the choice between A and B or they get to make the choice. Okay. Do we come up with the extra money or do we cut program? There's so many choices that can be made, but you allow them to make the choice. And that's a, that's a huge position of power. For both of you to be in, you know, I mean, it, it's it, it's it's very important for us to realize that we are serving them, but that they have to direct us what to do when it comes to those decisions. Evan, you just described a very good parenting uh, um, example. You know, when you're raising your children, let them decide. Give them that that authority, that power to do that. It's a good way to, you know, raise your kids too. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they still complain, <laughs> and your clients probably will too. <laughs> uh, true. Well, it's it, it's a great way to put things in perspective and and to and to give options and just say, hey, you know, you tell me what you want. And, uh, and that's a great way to kind of dig yourself out of a hole that you might be in, but it's, it's a completely ethical and legitimate way to do that. But, you know, let, let's kind of 
circle back around to the opening topic of the work-life balance and how communication fits into all of that, too, because, you know, we've got, you know, yeah, open communication with your clients and things like that do have an effect on the work aspect of it, but how does communication as a tool for, you know, balancing your your work and your life actually come into play. And I think it's even more important then because, you know, both of you guys said, you know, it's, you know, having that communication between, you know, your friends and your family on, you know, whether or not, you know, work kind of gets in the way or vice versa, you know, or whether or not, like, say there's a problem in your office um, or at least a perceived problem that you have in the office that's, you know, kind of making you distance or, you know, or just kind of stressing you, you know, you at work. A lot of times, a lot of people may not see the same issues that you guys have. You know, your project manager may not see that, you know, there's a problem between, uh, you know, two coworkers and stuff. And so it's kind of affecting the overall quality of the project or the schedule of the project and things like that. You know, you got to talk to people about it. You've got to let people know that there's a problem because sometimes they may never know it exists. You know, so it it, it kind of works its way back into, you know, making your life, you know, a lot easier in within the actual environment. In Andrew Maynard's article, he ends with talking about, you know, giving us two options to obtaining a good work-life balance. And the first option is to work for oneself, uh, although he adds uh, to take the very real risk that uh, one may go broke at any time. And the second option is to leave the profession. You know, I think we, I might have mentioned earlier that, you know, any profession is hard. So I don't really think option two is even really an, a realistic option. Hopefully I mean, you figured that out when you were in school. Let's hope so. I mean, if you leave the architecture profession and uh, go be a lawyer or, you know, go do something else, uh, uh, even something that might be related. It's, it's work. You're, you're still going to work. Whether even if you go, you know, work at, uh, you know, flipping burgers, you still have to work. And, um, you know, so I, I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe he was just throwing that in there as uh, uh, kind of to be funny or something. But I don't think that's, that's realistic at all. And, and I don't think... Even working for oneself is necessarily uh, an option either. I, I mean, th- let me rephrase that, uh, as the only option to have the good work-life balance because even working for yourself, you have to carry many more hats, actually, and it, it may actually even be harder, I think, to, to obtain a good work-life balance. You get well, more flexibility. So. You maybe have more time, <laughs> flexibility. but uh, I don't know about that either. It's a, it's a, that's another topic. Yeah. Well, I, I think he was being rather genuine. I don't think he was being flippant at all about you know his his two options because the way that he started the article off, he was talking about you know I I ditched commercial you know architecture and went in for myself you know at a really early age um, in a really early level of you know his uh, architectural life and for him it was you know, my way or the highway type attitude for how he's, you know, approaching, you know, architecture. 
But that's, you know, and as, you know, he talked about in his article, that's not really an option for everybody in this profession. Not every architect can work for themselves because if it is, you think that, you know, architects eating themselves or cutting each other's throats um, is bad now, you know, wait till everybody works for themselves. You would never be able to get anything done or you'd never get any work. It would just be, you know, it would be chaos. And we think that, you know, sometimes it's chaos now. It would be, you know, pure anarchy. But I think that the Anthony Ling article was, you know, disputing that you can get the life-work balance within a firm, you know, by being the agent of change, you know, whether or not it's, um, you know, working on maintaining this uh, plan, you know, you've, you've made a plan for the project, you've planned it all out, and, uh, you know, I know, Evan, that you've, you've talked about that every time, you know, there, there's no plan, it, it always falls apart, and you just kind of, you know, it just happens, um, well, you know, sometimes you can plan it all out and strive to get, you know, strive to stay on task with that. And if you're, you know, diligent and, you know, not necessarily a procrastinator, nor, and I, no, I'm not calling anybody procrastinators, but um, you can, you know, be able to kind of like balance that whole life out. I don't necessarily, I mean, you know, we've, we've talked about how hard architecture is. But we're, you know, and, and we've mentioned that it's a labor of love, but, you know, it, it sounds like we're almost, you know, scaring people off that it's, you know, don't do it because it's, it's, it's really, really tough and you'll never have a life. I don't think any of us are really actually saying that because we all have a life. Yeah. We, all, um, you know, we all have families. We all spend a lot of time with our families and do a lot of these things. Um, and, and I think we actually do have a formula, albeit a probably a strange formula for the way that we have our work life, you know, life work balance, you know, going on. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's just, it, it's almost, you know, we were talking about, you know, well, what kind of advice do we have? Sometimes it's, you gotta, it, it's up to each individual person to kind of figure out how you maintain that live, you know, that work life balance how you individually um, approach each project um, because, you know, I mean, I mean, let's face it, I mean, architecture is project-based. We, 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 we live from project to project to project. So how does that project that we have right in front of our face, how does that interact with our non-architectural life? Um, or, or are they even separate? I mean, do you, does do we, like with me, I don't necessarily consider my personal life and my, you know, my professional life completely separate. You know, yes, I don't bring my kids into work and things like that, but, you know, they, you know, sometimes they're there with me on the adventure of, you know, going and surveying a building and stuff like that, but it's stuff that we can do together and have fun with. So there's kind of an inner, you know, for me, there's kind of an intermixing of the two lives for sure. that, that actually gives me enjoyment and fulfillment in, you know, in that balance, you know, and, and it might not be the same for other people. So, you know, I mean, in a way, my personal advice is, is figure it out for yourself, but don't give up and think that it's just too tough 
and you can't do it. You can, and you will, with, you know, the greater the knowledge, the greater the experience, the more you're going to actually figure out how to balance it all out. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to scare people away either. I think that um, it, it's important to keep your priorities at the top of your to-do list. Yes. And so I'm a lot like you, Cormac, where it, my, my two worlds, if not more, um, are all completely intertwined. And, um, and so it just becomes a time management issue. Um, I, I think that, you know, where these articles are stemming from is kind of this perception of maybe people who've been in the industry for a long time and what they expect of people that they're hiring to work for them. But it's, it's a real thing that every, every one of us is dealing with on some level, which is, um, you know, we want to give our, our all to what we're doing. What we're doing is a very long list of things. And, uh, and so, yeah, we, we're trying to find a balance between all that stuff and we don't want it to weigh too heavily to one side as if there were only two. But yeah, I, th- I think it's just keeping top of mind, you know, what, what are your priorities? Um, what are you willing to do? What are you not willing to do? And communicating that with the people that you work with and, and, and keeping that, that communication active so that um, nobody gets the wrong idea. You know, it, it's important that everybody knows kind of where you stand and that's allowed to, to change over time. And, and it will look at, you know, for, for balance, look at, as you said, what are your priorities? What, what is it in your life that's going to make you happy? Um, always keep that in mind as your priority and realize that if you, if one outweighs the other, then you're going to, what, what, what's going to happen is you're going to sacrifice something for something else you know it's like like say if uh you know if you want to become the most successful um architect that's ever been on the planet you know is that going is is that endeavor going to um basically push away like friends and family and 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 things like that or are those even important to you you know so i i think your 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 perspective of you know, always keeping the priorities front in your mind is an extraordinarily important thing to do. If, if, if your priority is architecture, if your priority is your family, if your priority is playing guitar, you know, you've, you've got to be able to figure out a way to not only make it work for you, but it, it's got to work for the situation that you're in. And so if you're in a situation that doesn't allow for that, then you're going to have to take it upon yourself to change that situation. And I think that, you know, a lot of people have more power than they think. Um, no one, no one's making you work somewhere that you don't want to be or someone that somewhere that doesn't value the same things that you value. And I think maybe that's where Andrew Maynard, um, ultimately ended up was that, you know, he had to control his own destiny. And there's some people who are more comfortable controlling their own destiny than others. There's some people who are way more comfortable getting that steady paycheck and, and clocking in and clucking out every day. Um, so you're going to have to pick what's best for you. 
Well, that's not necessarily even, you know, you know, working for somebody else doesn't mean that you're not in control of your destiny, but, you know, it's kind of working within a, you know, a, a structured frame of, of, right. of control, right. you know, um, let, let me ask this and, you know, um, just as a, as a practical example from, from all three of us, I mean, we all, like I said, we all have families and, and Evan, you, you kind of went through, you know, um, family as important and, um, you know, the architecture is important and, you know, playing guitar is important and things. Like, and I know that those are all three, you know, important to you. You know, I know um, for those of you who don't know that our intro and, and exit music is um, a, a, a side project of, of, of Evans. Um, it, all of these are, how do you intertwine all of that together? Um, you know, a, a, as an example, um, you know, everybody knows or at least has heard me talk about how my passion about drawing and, and all of that other stuff. And, you know, sometimes I'll go and, you know, sequester myself into a room and, and draw and things like that. But rather than to do it alone and by myself, you know, kids are in there with me and we're all drawing together. We're all like, you know, making big piles of paper and just, you know, so my passions are intermixing together. They're never, you know, they're they're they seem to never really truly separate. And to me, that's not only sharing my passion with my kids, but also kind of teaching them that not only is you know your your creative outlets and your passions and things like that important, but to share them is equally as important. And and so those are kind of the things that I like to do with myself. And, you know, in, you know, in my family and, and, I'm, I'm, and I, I know for a fact, because, you know, as much as we talk and, and, you know, post and things like that, that that's what you guys do too. I mean, you never separate your passions from your, from your passions. I mean, I, I can't say you never separate your passions from your family because your, your family is your passion. Your music is your passion. Your, you know, your uh, architecture, your, your profession is your passion. You know, so I guess, you know, it's, and I don't want to drag this on, but, you know, it's just never, never think that you have to sacrifice one thing for the other. Yeah. That whole balance thing, man, to me, it's just a huge juggling act. It's, it gets to a point for me sometimes where it's like, okay, what do I need to do right now? Because if I don't keep this ball in the air, I'm going to drop three other things. Um, And then there's other times where it's really clear. (laughs) <laughs> that I've got to, I've got to focus on this and I've got to focus on it straight for two weeks. I mean, I don't know the, the right answer, but it, it, it all comes down to, again, it comes down to priorities and you can only have, well, let's put it this way. The, the definition of a priority is it's getting done. Uh, because if it's if it's something that's really high on your list and you're not doing anything about it, it it's not a priority, and and you might want to think about taking it off your list. But uh, the kind of person that I am, I've got my my thumb in five different pies at one time, and um, they're all things that I care about. And and it is sometimes really hard for other people, even other people who are really close to you, to understand. Um, 
and it, it's not an easy decision to make which one to, to do or to work on or to give attention to, but uh, it, it's hard to prioritize sometimes what, what the thing is that you have to do right then. And I, I don't know the right answer for this, but, but um, they're all part of your life and, and you've got to figure out how to take care of each one of those parts. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think that uh, your life and your work balance is really what you make of it. And that may sound very obvious, but um, I don't think you can, you have to separate the two. I mean, obviously they happen at different times and whether that's different times during the day, during the night, during the weekend, uh, or, um, you know, during the year and, and, and those priorities will continually change, uh, based upon, you know, what you have to do, the, you know, the teacher conference you have to go to or the, uh, you know, the, the, the client meeting you have to go to that day uh, or to meet a certain deadline. And that's all just part of life. And so the way I kind of look at it, you know, kind of stepping back is it's all just life and part of it you're working and part of it you're playing and, you know, to keep a balance and and it's up to you to make that balance happen. Um, I think it was you, Evan, that said nobody's making you work in a place that maybe you're not happy with or, or that doesn't appreciate you. Um, you can make that change. And, um, you know, and that if that's what makes you happy, then that's what makes your life work balance work for you. Um, and try not to let it get too out of whack. And, um, you know, you do that and uh, at the end of the day, you look back and, and hopefully you're happy with it how things went. All right. Well, should we wrap this thing up? I think so. For those of us who are still listening to the podcast here, um, <laughs> you can follow us on arcaspeakpodcast.com or on Twitter at arcaspeak. That's A-R-C-H-I-S-P-K. And uh, you can find me at E-Troxel, T-R-O-X-E-L. You can find me on Twitter at uh, N-P-A-N-N. And you can find me on Twitter at Archetype, that's A-R-C-H-Y underscore T-Y-P-E. All right, we'll see you guys next time. All right, bye. Bye. See ya.
Oh, you can bet, I know, I know 